In the early 17th century, Sweden was a world power. Sweden's king, Gustav II Adolf, commissioned a warship that would be christened the Vasa. After construction had begun, Gustav Adolf ordered the Vasa to be made longer. Because the width supports had already been built, the king directed the builders to increase the ship's length without increasing its width. Although the shipwrights knew that doing so would compromise Vasa's seaworthiness, they were hesitant to tell the king something they knew he didn't want to hear. They complied. On August 10, 1628, the Vasa began its maiden voyage. A stronger wind entered its sails, and the ship began to tip. The Vasa righted itself slightly, but only temporarily. Before long, as recorded by an observer, she heeled right over, and water gushed in through the gun ports until she went to the bottom under sail, penance, and all. The Vasa's maiden voyage was about 4,200 feet. Despite Vasa's magnificent appearance, the ship wasn't seaworthy. The alterations in its construction resulted in it not having sufficient lateral stability to enable safe seafaring. For us to successfully navigate our mortal sojourn, we also need sufficient spiritual stability to confront crosswinds and cross currents, to make the necessary turns, and then to return safely home to our heavenly home. Working with the physical laws related to lateral stability in the ship's construction might have felt restrictive to Gustav Adolf, but the Vasa would not have sunk before its mission started. Instead, it would have had the freedom and flexibility to accomplish what it was intended to do. So too, obedience to God's laws preserves our freedom, flexibility, and our ability to achieve our potentials. Christ's arrangement with us is similar to a mom providing music lessons for her child. Mom pays the piano teacher. Because mom pays the debt in full, she can turn to her child and ask for something. Practice. Does the child's practice pay the piano teacher? No. Well, does the child's practice repay mom for paying the piano teacher? No. Practicing is how the child shows appreciation for mom's incredible gift. It is how he takes advantage of the amazing opportunity mom is giving him to live his life at a higher level. Mom's joy is not found in getting repaid, but in seeing her gift used, seeing her child improve. And so she continues to call for practice, practice, practice. But this practice has a different purpose than punishment or payment. Its purpose is change. Christ's grace is sufficient to help us in that process. Brother Wilcox, I mean, don't you realize how hard practice is? I mean, I'm just not very good at the piano. I hit a lot of wrong notes, and it takes me forever to get it right. Now wait, isn't that all part of the learning process? When a young pianist hits a wrong note, we don't say he is not worthy to keep practicing. We don't expect him to be flawless. We just expect him to keep trying. 
Perfection may be his ultimate goal, but for now, we can be content with progress in the right direction. We may all be taken back from time to time by the extraordinary, such as walking on water, multiplying bread and fish, raising the dead, translating gold plates with special lenses or a stone and a hat, and the visitation of angels. Some people are hard pressed to believe extraordinary things. While it is understandable that we may be challenged by the extraordinary, we shouldn't be because ordinary things are actually more phenomenal. The most phenomenal occurrences of all time and eternity, the most amazing wonders, the most astounding developments are the most common. From subatomic particles to the farthest reaches of the cosmos and everything in between, including all of the wonders of life. Is there anything greater than those ordinary realities. No, nothing else even comes close. You can't begin to imagine, much less describe anything greater than what already is. In light of what is, nothing else should surprise us. It should be easy to believe that with God, all things are possible. The healing of the withered hand is not nearly as amazing as the existence of the hand in the first place. If it exists, it follows, it can certainly be fixed if it is broken. The greater event is not in its healing, but in its creation. More phenomenal than resurrection is birth. The greater wonder is not that life having once existed could come again, but that it ever exists at all. More amazing than the dead be raised is that we live at all. A silent heart that beats again is not nearly as amazing as the heart that beats within your breast right now. That one could see on a stone or, or through a special lens, the modern translation of ancient texts written on plates of gold is far less amazing than the human eye. The wonder is not what the human eye may see, rather that it sees anything at all. How can you believe in extraordinary things? such as angels and gold plates and your divine potential, easy. Just look around and believe. In honor of Martin Luther King Jr., who was recently listed in Ted Stewart's The Mark of a Giant as one of seven people who changed the world, I start with an example from his life that so clearly highlights these principles. Look for courage, action, and grace as I read his words. Quote, almost immediately after the bus boycott started, we began to receive threatening telephone calls and letters. They increased as time went on. One night I couldn't sleep. It seemed all of my fears had come down on me at once. I had heard these things before, but for some reason that night it got to me. I went to the kitchen and I sat there and thought about a beautiful little daughter who had just been born. 
I started thinking about a dedicated and loyal wife who was over there asleep, and she could be taken from me, or I could be taken from her. And I got to the point that I couldn't take it any longer. With my head in my hands, I bowed over the kitchen table and prayed aloud, Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right. I think I'm right. I'm taking a stand for what I believe is right. But Lord, I must confess that I'm weak now. I'm faltering. I'm losing my courage. Now I'm afraid. I have nothing left. I've come to the point where I can't face it alone. I could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And lo, I will be with you even until the end of the world. I tell you, I heard the voice of Jesus saying, still fight on. He promised never to leave me alone. And at that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I'd never experienced him before. Almost at once, my fears began to go. My uncertainty disappeared. I was ready to face anything. Could you see the pathway to healing? Courage to face a difficult situation and stand for truth. Acting in faith by turning to God in prayer and peace and strength from the Lord through His grace. Courage, action, grace. I'd like to visit with you about resolutions. Resolutions to conform our lives more closely to what we already know about the gospel. I'm sure that some of us have made a bundle of New Year's resolutions and maybe a few of us haven't chosen to make any because in prior years we've had problems keeping them. Don't overlook the power that making good resolutions can have to help make your life happier and more successful regardless of your past behavior. Is there anyone who doesn't participate in society for some reason? Somebody who's on the periphery because of language or background or disability or religion, family status or life choices, anything that they're not fully participating in the circle? And can we think of them as brothers and sisters? Can we serve them? If we change our perspective so that caring for the poor and the needy is less about giving stuff away and more about filling the hunger for human contact, then the Lord can send us someplace. There's always humanitarian places that we can't reach, but there are plenty that we can reach. And remember that in the same way as the Savior, you yourself are one of the best gifts that you can give to other people in need. You have done all I have asked you to do and more, but your country is at stake. Your wives, your homes, and all you hold dear. You have worn yourselves out with fatigues and hardships. If you will consent to stay one month longer, you will render that service to the cause of liberty and to your country, which you can probably never do under any other circumstance. Again, the drums rolled, and this time, the men began stepping forward. God Almighty, wrote Nathaniel Green, inclined their hearts to listen to the proposal, and they engaged anew. Did I forget to thank thee, Lord, for things that may seem small, 
A flower by the wayside, a wild bird's lonely call. For all the daily happenings that we call commonplace, for autumn and for sunsets, and a neighbor's smiling face. For life is made of little things, so let me not forget to count my smallest blessing, and before the sun is set, to thank thee, Lord, for everyone that adds a note of cheer, and our blessings will be multiplied before another year. I could hardly sleep the night before my first day as a nurse. I remember so vividly the spring air was cool and the sun seemed unusually bright. I carefully pulled on my support hose and put on my little white nylon dress and my ugly prescription shoes. But my crowning glory was the starched white cap that held my long hair tucked tightly beneath. I couldn't wait to handle the instruments, titrate the fluids, and perform the treatment procedures. I wanted to cure. I wanted to care. I wanted to heal. I've learned a lot about healing since that day. I've learned that healing is a process of restoring and becoming whole. Sometime in your life, you will likely know a crashing crisis or a heavy heartache that will threaten all sense of logic or hope or certainty, and from which, no matter how you emerge, nothing will be the same. Maybe someone you counted on wasn't there for you. Perhaps someone in your past hurt you deeply, and you can never change that. I know that pain. Pain is part of living, and pain brings us to healing. We can partake of the healing medicine of the atonement of our Savior, who promised, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears, behold, I will heal thee. Nearly every day, someone in your path is hurting. Someone is afraid. Someone feels inadequate. Someone needs a friend. Someone needs you to notice, to reach out, and to help him or her to heal. You can serve in the cause of the Master Healer. We've had great presidents of this church. Each one has guided us. His writings have stimulated us. His messages have inspired us to show us the way. We have those whom the Lord has provided. When our Heavenly Father established His church upon earth, that was a little stone that was cut out of the mountain without hands. And no matter what opposition may come, it will continue to grow and thrive for the blessing of mankind. The noblest aim in life is to strive to live to make other lives better and happier. That is the life of God. I love the Lord and desire to see His earthly kingdom prosper. And it is prospering. The gospel is rolling forth in a marvelous manner. And so I say to you young people today, remember your heritage and be loyal to that royal lineage that you have. Marriage is ordained of God. It is not merely a social custom. Without proper and successful marriage, one will never be exalted. We must become involved in civic affairs. We cannot do our duty 
and be idle spectators. My message to you today is to fear not, little flock. Life is wonderful, even in the hard times. I want to urge you to stand a little taller, to rise a little higher, to be a little better. You've been spoken to along these lines before. If you do not want to hear it again, you did not have to come today. We'll take a moment for any of you who would like to leave. When you choose to follow Christ, you choose to be changed. And changed men and women can change the world. May we always be known as followers of Christ. If I could have the fondest wish of my heart, it would be that you could know who you really are. God lives. Jesus is the Christ. He stands at the head of his church. I so testify. There have been reminders recently of the golden age of manned spaceflight, particularly the Apollo missions to the moon in the 1960s. These were incredible feats of science and engineering. Before they could land on the moon, however, their spacecraft had to be slowed to enter a lunar orbit. This meant doing something that, as with so much of this endeavor, had never been done before, and that was to travel around the far side of the moon, or so-called dark side of the moon. All the way there, the crew had been able to be in constant radio contact with mission control in Houston. But when it came time for them to go around the far side of the moon, communication would be lost, as the moon would quite literally be between the spacecraft and the Earth. For 45 agonizing minutes, all communication was lost with the crew. All they could do at Mission Control in Houston was wait and hope, wait and pray, as each of those 45 minutes ticked tensely by. What if a problem arose and there were a malfunction of some kind? How would Mission Control know and how could they possibly help? Well, that spacecraft did emerge from around the far side of the moon. The radio signal was reacquired and mission control must have erupted with shouts of relief and joy as the safety of the crew was confirmed. And so it can so easily be for us. In order to continue our progression on the course the Lord would have us set and return safely back to our eternal home, we must remain in constant communication with Him. In March of 2008, two of my former students, Mike and Taylor, invited my family to go spelunking in Spanish Moss Cave. The initial descent is a corkscrew-shaped crack in the rocks which twists downward for 15 to 20 feet before it finally opens into the domed roof of the cave. The return trip was harder than the descent. We clambered back up to the domed room, but the real challenge remained. This time, we would be climbing up with the assistance of ascenders, instead of dropping effortlessly down. I gathered myself and continued up the remaining visible length of rope until the top ascender would move no further. Fear took hold of me, and I had neither the strength nor the fortitude to let go. Every muscle in my body shook, and I began to contemplate what living in a cave might be like. In this panic-stricken state, I heard Mike talking above me. He was telling me to relax, to stay calm, giving me instructions on where to reach. 
I could not see any suitable handholds, so I told Mike, I cannot do this. I remember hearing some movement above me, then Mike telling me to take his hand. You're just gonna pull me up one-handed? Sure, he said confidently. Looking up again, I was seized with the realization that I really didn't want to stay in that cave forever. I wanted to go home. This awareness gave me the courage to trust Mike and reach for his hand. One moment I was dangling from the dome, and the next I was wedged into the crevice, still clinging to one ascender with my free hand. I could finally relax my arms. Perhaps you would have fared better than I did in Spanish Moss Cave. But we all, at one time or other, will be in a situation where our strength, or knowledge, or skill, or perhaps even our desire, is not enough. These are the times that your Savior pulls you up out of the darkness if you will let go and take his hand. I asked Mike recently whether he was ever concerned about getting me out of the cave that day. Without even thinking about the answer, he replied, no, there is always a way. Sometimes it's 5% me and 95% the other person. Sometimes it's 99% me and 1% the other person. But I know I can work with whatever the person has to give. Our Savior is the same. He can work with whatever you have to give if you're willing to accept His help. Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Verily, verily, I say unto you, Ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but labor for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. What shall we do that we might work the works of God? This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. What sign shewest thou then, that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven. But my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Lord, evermore give us this bread. I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. 
And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. This Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we knew, how is it then that he said, I came down from heaven? Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me, except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the law of the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God. He hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed and my blood is drink indeed. And he that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father. So he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven not as your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and the dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. This isn't hard saying. Who can hear it? Doth this offend you? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But I said unto you, there are some of you that believe not. Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. Will ye also go away? 
Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Have I not chosen you twelve? And one of you is a devil. <laughs>